I'll turn my mic on. And, uh, but uh, anyway, just uh, be, re be reminded of that. Um, you know, Spurgeon used to, before he preached, he said, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I do believe in the Holy Spirit. God has given his Holy Spirit to his people. And uh, God works through his word to transform each of us. And, uh, and he works through that word to, uh, to save us and then to transform us into the image of Christ. And so uh, we're going to be looking at uh, what God does in our lives. And, uh, but the question I have for us this morning, and it's, uh, it's, I start off with a question, is how can a Christian impact the world? Uh, I think as a young Christian, uh, and I remember uh, attending West Virginia Tech, and uh, first, I think the first thing, one of my, uh, he wasn't, well, he was, I went to high school with him, and he invited me to a, a, to a fraternity party, which I had no idea what went on at the fraternity party, but uh, I had to get out of there as quick as I could. It was so, uh, it was just, I thought, what, no, no Christian would want to be in this place. It was, uh, it was just perverse, some of the stuff they, they were doing, and I thought, jeez. Uh, and then I, I felt guilty because I, you know, how you, uh, I thought, well, how can I as a Christian impact this campus? But I think that's a question I think that, that Paul is going to, uh, is dealing with in Titus because he's dealing with a group of people who are um, living in a very, um, I would say, a, a culture that's very much like ours today. Uh, if, you, if, you could, if you could think of it this way, as we think of what, when I would use the word woke, you know what I'm talking about, right? We hear talk about the woke, the left. Uh, the, the left uh, is a, a woke uh, agenda where anything goes. Anything goes except Christianity, obviously. <laughs> and, um, and because of that, I think sometimes we, we fail to see that, um, you know, that the world that we live in today is not that much different than the world they lived in. There was uh, all kinds of perversity, but it's also they lived in a society in which the Roman government was pretty much tyrannical. And so the Cretans uh, on the island of Crete, they hated the government. I mean, they just, <laughs> they despised the control, the oppression of the government. Um, and you can imagine, uh, for example, one of, the, one of the great Roman emperors, well, he wasn't, I don't think of him as great, um, but think of this is that uh, the church went through 10 persecutions in the first 300 years. There were 10 persecutions of the church. One of those was under the, an emperor named Caligula. Caligula was, was so wicked that he appointed one of his horse as a senator. Uh, it just shows you, you know, and you're going to like sit there and you're scratching your head as, you know, how can that horse vote um, and how, what good? But uh, that was the kind of society they were living under. It was a very tyrannical, very heavy-handed, uh, a very um, difficult society. To, uh, uh, and so God saves these people, and Paul is saying to the church, now this is how I want you to relate to the world that you live in. We need that, don't we? We need to know how, how do we relate to, to our government? How do we relate to other people? And so Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 8, again, bring us back to how to relate to the world that we live in. Uh, we're in the world, but we're not of the world, Jesus said. But notice in chapter 3, verses 1 through 8, and we're going to read this. This is the word of God for us this morning. 
Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy and hated by others and hating others, one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. And thus ends the reading of God's word. Let's pray. Father, uh, as we come to this text, uh, uh, it's a wonderful text for us. Uh, it's, uh, again, uh, a good reminder for us this morning uh, how we as Christians are to live in a, in a society that is no friend of grace. But, Father, to be reminded of how the gospel has changed us and how the gospel can change other people. And so, Father, we ask this morning that you would, uh, uh, Father, just grant uh, us to put away any distractions and thoughts of things going on around us. Lord, that you might minister grace to each one here and, and to those that can't be here, that you would minister your grace and your mercy. Uh, for those who are still struggling with health and, and other discouragement needs, Lord, I just lift them up to you. You are the one who heals. Uh, you are the one who delivers you're the one that, uh, Father, knows our every need. And so we can bring those requests to you this morning. We ask now that you would minister to each of us through your word. And Lord, that if there be any here that uh, really doesn't know what it means to, to have uh, their lives changed by your word and by the spirit, that you might do that. Because you are sovereign, Lord, in your grace and sovereign in your work of salvation. And we give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, we looked at uh, how the gospel impacts families. Uh, we were looking at how the gospel impacts older men and younger men and older women and younger women. And we used, uh, there were two words that jumped out in the text. One was self-control, and the other text was submission. And both of those words are difficult words today, aren't they? I mean, how, how many of us use those words very often? Is uh, Lord, and yet all through the book of Titus, he's dealing with this word self-control. And uh, if you could think of it, uh, and we use the word, you know, we use different words for self-control, but technically he's talking about that's a, that's a fruit of the Holy Spirit that's, that's necessary in all of our lives, in every area of life, no matter who you are. I mean, think about somebody without self-control. I, I remember uh, as a kid growing up, and, uh, you know, if there was somebody that you could get, you know, you could, you could get them to react, you know, they had a short temper, what would happen? If, they, if people, if kids knew that a, that a kid had a short temper and would blow up and, and start, you know, guess what? He got picked on all the time. Why? Because he's got a bad temper. You know, go up and just 
do this. And he'd blow up, you know, and start yelling and cursing and all kinds of stuff. And, and, uh, and, and he was constantly being picked on because he, they knew he had no self-control. And, uh, and the world is kind of like that, too, because the world looks at, um, at, uh, at people and, and basically uses manipulation and whatever you will to, to do that. But Paul is, Paul is saying that as a Christian, that there's this uh, fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life that God brings into uh, to our lives, and it's for the purpose of having self-control in areas that... Uh, most importantly, in areas where people don't treat us nicely, right? I mean, because you don't need self-control when people are treating you nicely. In fact, you kind of like people, you know, it's, it's I like, I like uh, you know, the world saying, you know, good things about us. But uh, this is Paul saying, well, what if the world's not saying good things? And, and that's what we have here in the text in the chapter 3, is Paul's reminding them about three things. And he's reminding us three things. Number one, the first thing that he reminds them of is their Christian calling towards the government and, all, and people around us. Now, he's talking about the outsiders. He's talking about people, unbelievers. How, how are, how's a Christian called? What's a Christian called to do towards the government and all people? And notice that's what he said. Remind them. He's, he's, he's saying this is a reminder. This is something that, that's important. In fact, he says it's a reminder. And then in, in verse uh, 8, he says that we are to devote ourselves to these things because they're excellent and they're profitable. So, so these are three things that he's saying, not only are these things excellent, these are things that are really profitable for you as a Christian to remember. And the first thing is how do we relate to government? And I don't know about you, but that's kind of hard at times, don't you? I mean, think about it. I mean, Caligula appoints his, his horse as um, a senator. And you say, like, well, you know, some of the things that I see going on today kind of remind me of that, that kind of reasoning. It's, you know, sometimes it's, it's just totally twisted. Uh, because in that, in that particular society, uh, they were being oppressed. They were being, uh, there was heavy taxation. There was uh, soldiers that would, you know, take advantage of people uh, and would, would extort money from people. Um, and Paul is saying, well, you know, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities. And you're kind of like saying, wait there, how far does submission really go? You know, because the word submission is to place yourself under authority. And we know the Bible tells us that there's authority all throughout Scripture, right? There's the authority in the home, as parents have authority to raise their children a certain way. Um, also, there's government in the church. There's, you know, there's leadership in the church, and there's submission there. Uh, again, all of that's voluntary. When you become a member, you voluntarily become a member, and you place yourself under. And then there's that, that submission within um, government. And, and so Paul mentions this, Romans 13, he talks about how we relate to government, that, that government is meant, meant to do two things. One is to promote the good of people, right, and to defend to defend the country, uh, to, to defend the rights of the people. And so, uh, so when that government then becomes tyrannical, what happens? How does a Christian relate to that? In other words, is a Christian supposed to be submissive to the government who tells you to do something that the Word of God tells you you not to do? Or is a Christian supposed to do, uh, not do something that the Bible tells us we should do? And in those cases, then it's proper, as John and Peter did in Acts, is to say we must, 
we must obey the Lord first, right? The Lord becomes uh, God's word because it's, there's, the government's doing something outside of what God has ordained for government to do. So there is a proper place in which a Christian is, not, is to be disobedient or at least to register their noncompliance in a, in a, in a, still in a certain kind of way, not in a, um, you know, so Paul is, Paul is concerned about how Christians relate to people who, in, who are in authority that are abusing, even abusing authority. Uh, because even though God's appointed those rulers, yet God can use your conduct as a way of influencing leaders, even in those positions. And, and, he, and it's what he's talking about here. He's talking about being submissive, to, being, uh, to be obedient. I mean, uh, that, that again, it, it kind of puts a, it puts a, the pressure again on us, right? That, you know, well, it's hard to be obedient to people who are, uh, are making un, even unjust laws. I mean, think of like taxation. What did Jesus say? Render to Caesars the things that are Caesars, the things of God's, and give those things to God. So even the, and even when Jesus said that, guess what? There was oppressive taxation, right? The Romans. Uh, was it legitimate? Yes and no. <laughs> it was, uh, it, it was, it was, it was being, it was tyrannical in that sense. And yet Jesus said, "There's a way to relate to us." And He's going to use the, how He's going to show us how the Gospels intended to transfer, transform something that we need constantly, and that is our thinking. That there's, this, there's the things that go on in our thinking, the way that we relate, that Paul wants to, he's going to remind us of here. Um, and, and he's going to do that. But notice he doesn't stop with government. Notice in verse 2, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, that word there is really meek, and to show perfect courtesy or gentleness towards all people. And so uh, he, he says, okay, this is not only how you relate to government, but this is how you should relate to one another. In other words, how, how do we impact the world? How do we impact our community? And he's basically saying it's through our conduct, through living out what we believe the gospel has done in our own lives. Think about Think about these words, to, to malign no one. Uh, it means not to slander. Um, to, uh, to be uncontentious or non-combative, uh, but to be gentle. Uh, when you see um, things happening around us, isn't it hard sometimes to feel like, that person, or if somebody cuts you off, what's the first words that come out of your mouth? Or maybe you don't say them, but you think that. You're going like, boy, that person is a real Something we we use a word usually. Uh, my kids used to call used to say, "Dad, you're, you're you know you're always using this word dingbats." Well, back in the '80s, that was probably a term that I could probably you know I thought was appropriate for my kids, dingbats. And so they always remind me, "Dad, you always were calling you were always saying you know when you got upset about something, you called something somebody somebody a dingbat, you know." But but even here, Paul is saying you know the way that we speak of other people will also be a witness to them of our faith um, and that it's important. It's not, it's, not a, it's not something that we can just set aside and say it's not important because typically the way you think about people then will affect the way you then treat them, right? If somebody is way out there, you probably say, you know, I'm going to avoid. I'm not going to, to, to deal with them. 
And what Paul is going to do here, it's really going to, it's going to hit us right in the face, is that he says, I'm going to remind you of what you should do towards others, but in doing that, I'm going to remind you of who you are, who you were before you were saved. Think about it. When I deal with somebody else and they're, they're just being obnoxious, I mean, there's, I mean, is it easy to be kind to everybody? When somebody's being rude and uncooperative and um, I think of going to um, the DMV. I've never had very good, pleasant experiences. They tell you to bring things and then you go back again. Well, you know, you need something else. And you go like, well, I never had to do this before. I even had to change my birth certificate because the name that I put on there was different than the Actually, my mom and dad didn't put the right name. They put John H. Rollins and they didn't put Junior on it. And just because Junior wasn't on it, and though they had licensed my truck all this time, they said, you have to go back and get your... And I, I was like 65 or 64 when that happened. I'm going like, I have to get my birth certificate changed just for this, just for this truck. It's 2003 truck. You know, it's still running. It's a good truck. But uh, they said, yep, you got to do that. And I thought, okay, are they really running me around? Now, in, in that process, it was very hard for me to retain. Uh, I had to bite my tongue. I had to, you know, do that. And, you know, there were probably other. And I may have even been a little, okay, all right, I'll go ahead and get it done. And I, in, and I ended up getting it done. But I just thought, but, but what's, what's Paul's corrective? How, how are we to think about other situations? Well, notice verse 3. He throws us in there, and it just throws you away. Four. And you're going like, okay, for what? Well, he says, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, in other words, our lusts, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, or haters, hated by others, and hating one another. Now, I don't know about you, but if I got a resume with those seven vices on it, would you hire that person? You know, saying, okay, uh, why should I hire you? Well, because, uh, first of all, because I'm foolish, disobedient, led astray. <laughs> uh, but when God looks, when God saw us before we're saved, this is who we are. What, what Paul is doing here is he's saying we need to recall who we were in the past in order for us then to know how to take the gospel and how to react to the world around us that isn't going to be pleasant. And I don't know about you, but um, I, don't, I, I, I like this sometimes. Is I, I like to look at old albums of the past, you know, any family albums. Um, I like to look at them and say, wow, I looked at that. Chris carries a picture around of me when I was in, right out of college. And I actually have hair. I'm not, she's better not show that to anyone. But anyway, it was a pretty big, it was a pretty impressive uh, do. Okay. Now, now, that picture reminds me of something about me in the past that I'm not particularly like. But, but when you look at an album, you see the past. And part of that reminding of the past, it kind of said, boy, you know, we've come a long ways, haven't we? <laughs> but shouldn't we think, Paul's saying, the second thing that we need to be reminded of is who we are in the past, Right? What is it that God's done in our life? Look at where we were. And can you, I mean, I used to make decisions like this. I would say, okay, uh, 
I don't know if you, uh, you did this, but I did. Uh, I would say, okay, uh, we need to make a decision about something, and I'm going to lay out the pros and the cons. Now, if I've got more pros than negatives, then what do I do? I go ahead and make the decision for that to go ahead with it. Now, if there's more negatives on there than the pros, what do I do? Well, those negatives become red flags. And my experience has taught me this, is that every time I ignore a red flag, what happens? The inevitable. <laughs> the inevitable always happens, and something, uh, it's like, oh, I, I should have known better. I saw the red flag. I ignored it. Well, think about it. Here, think of if God looked at our resume as we are outside of Christ. Let's just say, before we were saved, and God's looking at our resume, and He's looking at the pros and cons. Now, let's look at some of the cons, or the negatives. He looks at verse 3. He looks at, we're foolish. That word foolish just means that we are practical atheists. That's what a fool was in the Old, the Old Testament. We're disobedient. Don't like that one. We're led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures. We're passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Boy, isn't it, isn't it easy to forget who we used to be outside of Christ? I mean, that's what... Paul is trying to get us. He's saying now, now God's looking at that, all those negatives, and he says, okay, where are the pros? What are the good things about us? It's blank. <laughs> There's no pros there. There's no positives. Well, wait there. You know, I'm dead in trespasses and sins. I, you know, I, uh, uh, I don't do good. Because unless the only way I could do good is I do it for God's glory. And I can't do that when I'm not a believer. And, 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 Paul, and so God looks at that and God says, ignores it all, ignores the record, and it says, verse 4, what does God do? But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us. Takes the resume, rips it up, throws it in his trash, the only reason that God saved us is not based on anything we've done. That's the, whole, that's the whole point. In other words, it's not based on my record. It's not based on my performance. It's not based on my, any goodness in me. It's based totally on God's mercy and grace. And that's what he wants us to see. He wants that to grab us because the catalyst for, for, for us to be able to do what he tells us to do in verses 1 and 2, the way to relate to the world is to look out there and say, I was once like that. I was ignorant. I was foolish. I was doing dumb stuff. And I was just out. I was doing stuff that really is totally irrational. I mean, I turn the television on and I say, people are doing irrational stuff, don't you? You know? transgenders going into women's bathrooms or whatever, vice versa, uh, you know, women's sports. And then you got, you know, all these people who are trying to, uh, to change people's genders by, you know, add, you know, giving kids, little kids even, um, you know, things that, that are going to change them physically. And you go, this is out, this is, people are out of their mind. Right? And you get frustrated, <laughs> and, you, and you're wondering, Lord, this world has gone mad. And the Lord looks at it, and He says, it's already been mad for a long time. Dingbats. Dingbats. <laughs> Dingbats. Uh, I'll never live that one down. Uh, but, but, I mean, think about it. When God created...
Adam and Eve, what happened? They sinned right in the garden. And what did God do? He brought judgment. But then what? The promise of salvation through the seed of the woman. And then what happens? You read on to Genesis chapter 6, and God says, I regret I've made man. That things are so wicked, God says, I wished I hadn't done it. And what does God do? He sends the flood and destroys the whole world, but saves Noah and his three sons. On what basis? Well, we know it wasn't based on Noah's righteousness, that Noah wasn't sinless, right? Because, you know, we see that within, actually within two chapters, what happens? They're building the city of Babel in order to defy God. And you're going like, wait there, we just don't get it, do we? The civilization is like that. It's, it's, it, you say, well, it seems like it repeats itself. Well, it's because man has not changed in terms of his nature. He's a sinner, and there's none that doeth good, no, not one. That is a picture of civilization without God. And God is saying, that's who you were, but guess what? God in his love and in his kindness... See, when we talk about God's unconditional love and we talk about God's unconditional election, we're talking about the kindness and love of God. What motivated God the Father to look upon us and save us is totally a work of grace. It's pure, unadulterated grace of God. God didn't look down and say, boy, you know, there's, there's some real potential here. <laughs> he looked down and he says, mercy. <laughs> The word there, it's, a, it's an interesting word he uses here in uh, verse 4, is that loving kindness of God our Savior. That word there is philanthropy. It's the word we get philanthropy from. Now, we know philanthropists are people that give lots of money to causes and build, you know, they build things for, in order that they might get, I think, recognition. <laughs> I mean, uh, for, for things that they've done. But, but, but God, it says God the Father is the true philanthropist. He does it not because of anything that he's getting out of it. He's doing it out of pure mercy because if you notice that, it says that he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to what? His own mercy. Mercy is God pities those who are miserable. The picture of us in verse 3 is a picture of living life outside of God, outside of God's authority in misery. And God in His mercy, God pities us. He looks down, He pities us. And it's like that caterpillar we mentioned last week that God, that's in the middle of the fire, God reaches down and pulls the caterpillar out. That's what mercy is. The mercy of God, that God, God takes pity on us in our misery. And that, and that grace that, that God does that, and He does it by something. All three persons of the Godhead are at work in our salvation. Isn't that wonderful? God doesn't just stand back and say, well, I'll save them. What God does is that He, according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration. That's what we call, you need to be born again. The word regeneration means born again. It literally, it's only used a few times, but uh, G Jesus used it in John chapter 3. You need to be born from above. But he was talking about regeneration there. It's the same word. That God in his mercy, by the washing, regeneration, and renewal of the Holy Spirit, 
God pours out on us richly. So, so here the Father loves us, and He designed salvation. Christ accomplished that, but the Holy Spirit is sent by God to raise dead people from the dead. Do you realize what verse 3 is, that we're dead people? The Holy Spirit comes and breathes life. And you're going like, how, how does God, how do we, how do we, why do we, how can we respond to God if we're dead? The Holy Spirit has to come. In other words, Jesus said, unless you're born again, you can't even see the kingdom of God. You can't even want the kingdom of God. Without being born again, you can't not only see it, you can't enter the kingdom of God because that which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is what? Spirit. <laughs> So the Holy Spirit has to come and He opens our... In other words, I think it like this. God came to me at a certain point in my life and He turned the light switch on and I was able to understand that I was lost and that Jesus came to save me. That's regeneration. God turned the light bulb on. <laughs> and you're going like, but I, but, but I was able to go to school and learn stuff and I was able to do things, yes, but I was lost. I was dead in trespasses and sins. I was living my life, I was making my own rules. As long as I lived up to my rules, I was okay. But that's the world we live in. Those are the people that you work with, the people that we go to school with, the people that we interact with, the people at the store. And we get so impatient with people, right? And what's God saying? Let the gospel sink real deep into your soul to the point that it just brings you to a place where you begin to show some love and compassion for people. Guess what? You can't do that sitting on the sideline, right? You can't do that just in your own strength. But what the Holy Spirit does is He comes and He does some amazing work. It's called We Become New Creatures. I mean, think about it. Did you love reading the Word of God before you were saved? I mean, <laughs> uh, I remember uh, uh, that uh, the uh, Wilberforce, who uh, was used by God to, uh, to uh, he basically was a parliamentarian in, in England at the time, and he was responsible for, for basically outlawing the slave trade. But he had a friend named William Pitt who was going to eventually became a prime minister. And he took William Pitt to hear, um, at that time it was John Newton, uh, one of the other famous preachers. I think it was John Newton because they lived at the same time and had influence there. And uh, William Pitt sat in the service and he says, I, and of course William Pitt wasn't a believer. And he says, I had the foggiest notion what that guy said. But eventually God turned the light on him. What happened? Whoa! <laughs> When God turns the light, I'm lost. Without God's mercy and grace, I am lost. And God in His mercy and grace reaches down and says, but He loves us and sent His Son to pay the debt that we couldn't pay. See, lost of my sin, just basically, I, I can't pay the debt off. There's this uh, illustration I was reading. As a poor farmer went to see his bank manager and he told the manager, he says, I have some good news and bad news. Bank manager said, well, 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 tell me the bad news first. He says, well, the bad news is um, I put a mortgage on my, I, I have a mortgage on my house and I had a bad year and I can't pay it. And he 
says, well, that's really bad. <laughs> he says, but that's, that's not all. He says, I, I, uh, he said, I also took a loan out on, on equipment and machinery to, you know, to help me harvest the crop. And he says, and I can't pay. The bank manager is starting to really get concerned, and he says, well, that's really bad. That's, uh, and he says, uh, he says, and he says, but that's not all. <laughs> he says, I borrow money for seed and fertilizer, and I've had such a bad year, I can't even pay that. And the banker says, well, let's get on to the positive. He says, well, the positive thing here is I still want to do business at the bank. <laughs> but turn that around. Think about it. God deals with us that same way, and God comes to us, in this case, let's just say it's God's grace in this particular situation that God looks at us and he says, well, what are you bringing? I'm bringing nothing but my, my debts, my liabilities. Who's going to pay the debt? Jesus Christ. In order for God to do business with it, God says, but I still want to do business with you. God extends the gospel and he's saying, but I still, God says, come unto me all you that are weary and heavy laden. And why? Because I am gentle. Same word he uses here, meekness. I am gentle and lowly of heart. And you shall find rest for your soul. In other words, you'll find peace with God. You'll find the forgiveness that, that God's promised. You'll, you'll find the, the, the joy that comes from having God take the darkness of guilt and condemnation and placing that on Jesus Christ as he bled on the cross. And he died and says, that's because he loved us. So, so what the Holy Spirit is doing, he's doing a prevenient work. We call that prevenient, and that's a theological term. But all that means is that God, the Holy Spirit, has to go before, open our eyes to the gospel, and guess what happens? In that process, he gives us faith and repentance, right? We can see the wind blow, but how do I know whether it's blowing east or west? Well, you got a flagpole, <laughs> And it's blowing, I have no idea if I'm east-west here, because, I mean, you know, in West Virginia it's hard, unless you go and look at the sun. But the point is, is that, okay, so the wind blowing, how do I know that, that there's been a change? Except if I look at the effects of what the Holy Spirit is doing. For example, Zacchaeus, we know, God saved him and gave him the Holy Spirit, because now Zacchaeus, remember Zacchaeus, the tax collector? Now he's giving his money away rather than hoarding it and stealing it, actually. <laughs> or, or think about Paul. What was Paul doing before he was saved? He was killing Christians and arresting them. What happens after God saves him? Paul wants to have fellowship. Immediately he says, ha, I want to go to Jerusalem. I want to have fellowship. And they're going like, what? we don't want to have fellowship with you, buddy. And he's like, and, and so remember uh, Barnabas goes and introduces him to the brethren. Paul's wanting to have fellowship. Well, before he wanted to kill Christians. Well, what about the Philippian jailer? He was like beating his prisoners, but afterwards he's actually treating them kindly. You see the effects of the Holy Spirit's regeneration? Or, or think about Onesimus in Philemon. Philemon was stole from, uh, from Philemon. He stole from his, his uh, owner, and he ran away, and Paul, he hears the gospel. He gets saved, and guess what happens? He, Paul says, Onesimus is profitable to you and to me now. Take him back. God changed him. That was, that was God at work giving these men that we just mentioned, giving them faith and repentance. And you go like, that is so amazing. 
That's beautiful. In fact, you know, so you say, well, the Holy Spirit, yes, he's, he, in other words, there's this washing that goes on. And he gives, he opens your eyes to say, you know, the word of God makes sense. That God, I mean, other, there's no way that I could save myself. Religion actually just makes people hateful. You ever notice that? The more religion sometimes people get, the more hateful they are. It makes them proud and self-righteous because if, if you re- when I say religion, I'm saying that when we think that we can do enough to please God, that's religion in order to be saved, right? That's religion. In other words, I'll, I'll, it's, if I do enough good stuff, more than my bad stuff, I'll convince God to accept me. That's religion. That's not Christianity. Christianity is it's what? God, notice this. He pours out his spirit on us richly. In other words, that, that pouring, I love that pouring because that's, uh, you know, Acts 2 there, the Holy Spirit being poured out. So that, notice verse 7, being justified by my works, we might become, a, no, 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 wait there. Wait there, I guess my glasses. That being justified by his grace, God's unmerited favor, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. How do you become an heir of anybody? You don't earn that, right? Heirship, if you became an heir of somebody and they said, well, I, don't, I want you to be my heir. And he says, well, what do you mean? Well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a billionaire and I want it to be you to get everything. But I don't deserve it. I didn't do anything to earn it. I know, but that's, that's what it means to be an heir. We're being justified by what? Not our works, by grace. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, what, what does that mean? That means that God takes all of my I mean, you got a bank account, and it's got all this guy is I'm, I'm $100,000 short. <laughs> God pays off that debt, zeroes out your account, and then he puts on that account everything that Jesus did. On the, in other words, he earned eternal life for you. And he, so, so it's not just that he zeroes out my account, he gives me all the riches of Christ. That's justification. And he does that. By grace. <laughs> and you're going like, Lord, but I, I need to do something. And God says, you can't. The best, the best place for, for us as believers is always to go back to the fact that we come to God and we cry out to God, have mercy on us. Have you ever been in that place where, you know, you, you, I mean, there will be times in your Christian life where you just pray that prayer like the, remember the tax collector, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Grace of the gospel is for needy people. And guess what? We all here are needy, right? That's why we come to church. We don't come to church because <laughs> I got it together, buddy. You know, if you've got it together, you don't need the church, right? We come to church because we need what the gospel is providing for us, and it's a gospel of grace and mercy and forgiveness. And it's that same message that the world needs to hear because it, most of the people out there are thinking, if I just do, you know, they either, give, they either give up or they don't care or they try to change the rules because they know that at their very heart that we're guilty of our sin. And apart from grace, we can't be saved. I mean, that's, you know, that's, and that's the beauty of, of now you see all the work of God, God the Father loving us and kindness towards us, Holy Spirit regenerating us. And it's interesting, he puts Jesus Christ third here. But he's not, he's not saying he's third, but he just says that the whole, it's in terms of the effect that God has in the gospel is God saves us and then we begin to recognize who Christ is and ultimately 
bow the knee uh, to him as Lord and Savior. Um, you know, as I was thinking about this, I said, well, so what? What, I mean, what are, what are some of the applications to us? Well, I think one application from this is that is the, you know, Paul is saying this is how the gospel is intended to change us in the way that we relate to the world. See, if you relate to people who are unsaved, you have to relate to them as unsaved. <laughs> Don't relate to them as bosses. I mean, think about it. A lot of times the servants were the pastors in the churches, by the way. And the bosses were coming. <laughs> you know. So, how do we, uh, so, so, so God is giving us kind of a template in the gospel. So, the gospel gives us a template. God saves us based on no merit of our own. So that we can then what? How do we are? How are we to love people? I'll tell you on my when it comes to the old man John, you got to merit something. You got to merit me to you know to do this right. That's the old man. Uh, hey you you know God God does for those who do for themselves. That's the old man, isn't it? You know. Hey, it's just all about it's, it. In other words. The motivation for doing good works is, has to do with God's work in you. So that the way that, for, in other words, what, what is the, the Bible says, as you have received, do unto others, right? You communicate that. God transforms you that by that. Um, the world needs to see radical grace in the way we live. Radical grace is this. I have to look at the world and just say, they're not worthy, but neither was I. And all God tells me to do is just live your life. You've received freely, received salvation freely, then freely give to others. And then there's a third, third thing here, and that is, how do we measure God's kindness to ourselves? I mean, think about it. Cheer up. You're a lot worse than you, you really think. And you go like, well, that's not very cheering. Yeah, because, but there's another part of that, right? And the reason you can cheer up because of your lost condition, because of your sinfulness, is because God's grace is greater than your sin. Right? That's what grace is. It's gra grace is greater than our sin. When gra sin abounded, grace did superabound towards us. See, there's nothing more that God could do for us than what He has already done for us in Christ. And that's the beauty of uh, the gospel. So, uh, and Paul says it's profitable for us that God didn't stand at a distance. So we can't stand at a distance from the world. I mean, I want to do that, don't you? When I think about what the world, what's going on out there in the world, you know what I want to do? Close the door and lock it. <laughs> and what? Withdraw. Why? Because the world basically becomes it's because that darkness that all of a sudden, but then we have to remember that that's who we were before we were saved. And God's saying, no, the way you, you engage the world, God didn't stand back at a distance. He embraced. He embraced us. And so the main point is that the more you understand the gospel, the more you're able then to react this way. It, because it, it's just automatic. It's going to. It's 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 God's way of transforming us. Because all of these passages are Paul saying, "Do this," and then he gives us the gospel. And you're saying, "Well, why does he put the gospel there? I already know the gospel. I know how to be saved." But guess what? I need to be reminded of how radical that God's grace was in my life. 
to change me, to, to give me a new desire to want to fellowship, to pray, to study the scriptures. All of those things are not things that I earned. And it's not because I was a pastor's son. Now that, of course, that's common grace is because I heard the gospel. <laughs> but the point is, is that God saves us by his grace. And it's that grace that he's wanting to transform us so that when we do good works, we're saying, look, look what God's done for me. How can I do anything else? That's how I relate. I want to relate to people. So, so when I'm relating to people who are, you say, well, you know, there's people that are on skid row and they're this and they, you know, and, and you can say, well, you know, I've, heard, I've actually heard deacons say this before and this wasn't here. To say, well, you know, they have to, they have to be, they have to, they have to be worthy of, of, of that help. And they're going like, I wasn't worthy of that help from God. How do I earn that? You know, you know, you, you know, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. And it's like, well, mercy means that God looks at me and he pities how miserable I really am. And he comes and helps. And yet so often I forget that when it comes to, I mean, think about the people that are struggling. When you, when you run up on those situations, just say, Lord, this is where I was before you saved me. To motivate us, to encourage us that what we do does matter. How we relate to the world does matter. Kindness and love is the very thing that changed, I mean, think about it, 300 years of persecution. The love of Christ transformed that culture. By the time 325 came, and that was when Constantine was the, became the ruler, by that time, there was over a million Christians. And it just started with what? It only started with those 12. And then one of those was not a true Christian, right? So, you know, and, but it started with 12 disciples. God saved them. And what happened? 120. And then after 120, then there's Pentecost. And what happens? Whoa! Church explodes. And then the church keeps exploding. And the church keeps exploding. Guess what? I don't care what the government says. The church is going to continue to grow. And that's because of the Holy Spirit. Now, they can shut all of our mouths. But I don't care if they shut all of our mouths. The church is going to grow. And I, I can't, you know, I can't sit here, stand here and say, but, but because I can look at what God's done in the past and it says that there's going to be thrones and thrones and thrones and thrones and thrones of people around the throne and that God's been saving people all throughout the ages and it's going to be such a big crowd. I mean, and I just, I'm just going to be thankful that I'm there to be able to enjoy the very glory of God. So, it's, it's a wonderful, see, this is an encouragement for us. It's a motivation for us to say, Lord, I'm going to look at the world and I'm going to, sometimes I'm going to scratch my head and sometimes I'm going to want to say something that I shouldn't say. But Lord, you're telling me to show the kindness and the love of Christ to a world that's needy. And I, I'm going to conclude with this because I've been talking for a while. I actually went longer than I thought I was. Is this, I was looking at, a, a, this, this ver, these, these words came to me in a song um, actually, it was a song that's written. It's in your hymn book, but it's, all the words aren't there. But I looked it up. People need the Lord, don't they? People need the Lord. Guess what? They look at your life and my life. And you say, but is it going to make any difference? Yes, it is. 
See an act of kindness, an act of love, sharing the gospel, helping someone in need. For Christ, if you give a cup of cold water in my name, you will not lose your reward. It's amazing, isn't it? It's beautiful. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. and It's a beautiful word to us, Lord. It's called grace. Thank you for the work of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We give you all the glory in his name.